Hello and welcome to Monocle on Culture with me, Robert Bounds. The biggest will-they-or-won't-they storyline of the past 18 months has been the release of the new James Bond film, No Time to Die. Well, it's finally time to see the film. Like many big releases, No Time to Die was set for release just as the coronavirus pandemic hit in spring 2020 and it's been pushed back further and further until this week when it finally arrives in theatres. No Time to Die is the fifth and final Bond movie with Daniel Craig as 007. His announcement as Piers Brosnan's successor in 2005 was met with criticism but after his first appearance as the besuited secret agent in Casino Royale, he quickly won over fans and critics and it became the highest gross Bond film of that time. Craig has brought an emotional charge to Bond and challenged some of the tropes of the character, so this final swan song is sure to carry some weight. But of course, that won't take away from the action and an all-star lineup. In No Time to Die, we have our baddie, played by Rami Malek, and of course, our Bond girls, Lea Seydoux and Anna de Almas. On today's episode, I'm handing things over to our culture correspondent, Fernando Gasso Pacheco, who has been lucky enough to chat with the No Time to Die director, Kari Joji Fukunaka, and longtime James Bond producers, Barbara Broccoli and Michael G. Wilson. And Fernando joins me now. Um, Faye, it's exciting times for Bond watchers, right? I mean, does, has, you, has this wet your whistle even more than it would have done if it came out when it was supposed to, this film? I think, you know, and I, I, this is no exaggeration. I think this is the film that everybody was waiting for. I remember last year in April when they announced that they were going to delay. I mean, I know it might sound glib, but that's when I said, oh my God, COVID is really serious because <laughs> I remember it was on the front page everywhere because it was big news. Uh, I mean, so finally it's coming out. I think I'm, I'm super excited. And it's the last film from Daniel Craig as well. I mean, he did a great job overall. So I think we're already speculating who's going to be the next Bond, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's one of those things, isn't it? At this time of the year around Bond kind of release date time, everyone everyone in any kind of movie or even kind of a high grossing TV series, anyone that looks good in a suit, any guy that looks good in a suit, <laughs> sort of got a rugged handsomeness, you're like, oh, that's going to be the next same Bond. So, well... I won't put you on the spot saying say who would be your first choice, but let's talk about um, a bond, the Bond villains quickly because Rami Malek. I'm intrigued to see what Rami Malek does does with this. I mean, who have been some of your favourite Bond villains over the years? I, I trust Rami Malek. I mean, he's an excellent actor. I think I think he'll be a good one. Yeah. Even Javier Bardem more recently. I think he was he, excellent. He was excellent. And, and and I even love kind of the touch of homoerotica in the film yeah. as well. Yeah. Which is quite controversial for some. I but, love that in a Bond film. Like, exactly. Bond, so we need that. I've been here before. Exactly. I like that. Uh, and, and, and Rob, in fact, my very first Bond that I watched and remember as a kid was Moonraker. I mean... I'm not sure if he's the greatest villain, but it was Joss. And, and, and I've never... <laughs> and Drax, fought... right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And he was fighting with, with, with Bond in the Sugarloaf Mountain in Rio de Janeiro. So for me, that was quite magical. So it was a mixture of Hollywood, Rio, and, and that big man called Jaws, you know? Yeah, and exactly. I, I, I think that one stick to my mind for some reason. Now, no one's seen the film yet. No critic has seen the new Bond film yet. But um, what do we kind of know already? What kind of world are we in with this final Daniel Craig Bond well, I think it'll be quite emotional. I mean, first of all, it's very long. It's two hours and 43 minutes. So I think we're in there for a ride. And, you know, 
even Barbara has been mentioned, Barbara Broccoli, the producer of, of, of that film, that Daniel Craig, he, he brought a little bit of kind of it made the character more three dimensional in a way, mm-hmm. because I think Pierce Brosnan, Sean Connery, they, they, they were all amazing. But, in, you know, they were always a bit sarcastic, like having fun. Sometimes you didn't see what they were thinking. So I expect it's going to be a little bit darker mm-hmm. uh, than usual a little bit emotional is the last one for Daniel Craig but again I might be wrong he might be completely like <laughs> who knows he, he might be fighting against Jaws in the Sugarloaf Mountain you know <laughs> um, well what we can always guarantee with the Bond is despite any darkness there is also a, a, a deal of escapism which we could probably all do with it feels I, I don't know it feels to me kind of like the, the first really big release the first unleash, the first real opening of Doors I mean I know this is different in different territories and different countries all, down, all over the world but as um, a resident of London fade how does it does it does it feel kind of like a, a real moment of, of reopening this one oh yes I mean and, and you know even even Bond I mean he's a man who likes to travel so I think <laughs> you know he, he doesn't really match with COVID very much I mean even the new film I think uh, you know it's set uh, a little bit in Jamaica, in Italy as well, which I think is one of Bond's favorite countries. I was doing a little research. I think that's. I think after England is the country where they sh- they shot more scenes of Bond's overall. So I think it's international and it will be released. There's no escape. No, no, no escape for delay. I was trying to find about a, a, a Bond title here, but clearly I got it wrong. No time. It's no time to stay indoors. Let's go to the cinema. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> well, Fernando, um, I'll, uh, I'll I'll leave the, the show in your very capable hands. And let's hear from the makers of No Time to Die themselves. First up, we have producers Barbara Broccoli and Michael G. Wilson. The thing that no one wants to admit is that most people want things to happen to them. We tell each other lies about the fight for free will and independence, but we don't really want that. We want to be told how to live and then die when we are not looking. People want oblivion, and a few of us are born to build it for them. So here I am, their invisible god, Sneaking under their skin. You know that history isn't kind to those who play God. And you don't? We both eradicate people to make the world a better place. I just want to be a little... tidier. Barbara, I'll start with you. I mean, No Time to Die is the final film in Daniel Craig's tenure as James Bond. How has he reinvented Bond for you? And what do you think his legacy will be for the future ones as well? Well, he's really reinvented it for the 21st century. You know, I think he's brought a lot of humanity to the character. He's really developed uh, James Bond's sort of emotional inner life and uh, explored that quite thoroughly throughout the five films. So uh, he's made an, an immense contribution not just to the Bond films, but I think to cinema in general. I would definitely ag- agree with that. And, and and Michael, how do you know if, if an actor I- is going to be Bond? I mean, uh, you know, I saw the documentary uh, being Bond. And, and it, it, for example, with Daniel Craig, he was the only option, right? In reality, yes. Uh, we looked at some other people, but uh, he was uh, just um, way ahead of all the other possibilities at the time. And Um, It's impossible to say what makes a good Bond actor because everyone who's played the part is quite different. They bring a lot of their own personality to it. Um, 
it's hard pr to predict uh, ahead of time who's, who's going to be successful. But um, certainly Daniel had exactly what we needed. We did a film test and he, he was uh, just so good in it that uh, we knew we had the right man. Barbara, you know, some franchises, you know, with time, you know, they might get tired or something. I don't think that happened uh, with Bond. And do you think perhaps one of the reasons for that is that I, f I feel that it's it was almost kept in family, in family the franchise, uh, as you know very well. Do you think that's one of the secrets to keep it relevant? Well, I think, you know, um, we're coming up to our 60th year in terms of the cinematic history of Bond. So I think, you know, it is a family business and not just the biological family that we are, um, Broccoli Wilson family, but also all the people that have worked on these films for many, many years and multiple generations have worked on the films. And I think that because of that, they really feel that they want to make the best contribution they can. And I think... Um, it's made a huge difference to this franchise because people really feel they they feel take it personally you know they really feel like it's something that means something to them so we're very you know we're very grateful to everybody that's worked on these films and kept them relevant for almost now six decades and it's interesting that of course James Bond is very much associated here with the United Kingdom but I feel it's, it, it I feel I feel it's like an international franchise no matter if you go you know to my home country Brazil to China you know everybody loves Bond I think it's almost a soft power uh, for the United Kingdom Would, wouldn't you agree I think Bond loves the world you know so uh, you know he's traveled to all oh, many many countries including Brazil we had a fantastic time mm -hmm. there on Moonraker Uh, one of the most uh, spectacular countries we've ever filmed in. So I think, you know, Bond is a man of the world and uh, and he set out to protect the world. So I think uh, he's very invested in keeping the world safe and, and all the beautiful countries safe. And Ma Michael, coming to you, one thing that, uh, you know, I'm very glad you did, you waited until No Time to Die could be screened in, in, in theaters. Uh, what's the importance uh, for, you know, for movie going still, you know, instead of just, you know, being put in st on streamers? Nothing against streamers, but I think it's nice to see No Time to Die on a big screen, right? Well, Fernando, you're absolutely right. Um, it's, uh, we did hold out for a theatrical opening and... That's uh, because we make these films for the theater. They're meant to be seen in the theater. They're spectacular and they're well-crafted. They're crafted for the big screen. You can see them on a small screen, but you don't get as the full impact unless you go to the cinema and see it. And this time we've actually done a 3D version and some other versions that uh, actually uh, can only be appreciated in the cinema. And, you know, and, and Barbara, talk more about the anticipation. I mean, because I think, of course, it's glad that you waited for the release, but it must have been quite anxious times as well because there's been four delays. I remember last year, I think, when they said Bond was going to be postponed, you know, not to be glib here, but I said, oh, my God, coronavirus is very serious. You know, something is happening here. It was on the front page of all the newspapers. So I think it's, it's a mixture of... There's a lot of relief coming from your part as well, right? Well, it's obviously obviously been a very, very difficult time for everybody. And, um, you know, people have suffered greatly. And I know that people in Brazil have suffered greatly. And, you know, obviously our heart goes out to everyone who's been affected uh, by the coronavirus. So 
the thing that was at the front of our minds was obviously safety, safety of audiences. We didn't want to come out at a time that was um, not safe. And, um, you know, we basically wanted to wait until things had opened up more and and people felt more comfortable going to the cinema. So that's that has always been at the forefront of our minds. What's, you know, I know uh, we mentioned that it is at the beginning of the interview, Daniel Craig's final uh, tenure. How emotional it was. I saw the documentary. I have, to, I have to be honest. I cried, actually. It was it was really powerful. I mean, uh, don't worry, I'm not going to ask who is going to be the next Bond because I know it's going to be a very complicated one. But it'll be quite hard to move on. I think the next Bond will certainly have some characteristics of Craig, you know, the emotional uh, tone that he brought to the franchise uh, as well, right? Yeah, there's no question that he's made a, a tremendous impact on the character and on the film series. So it will be very difficult. I can't even bear to think about it. We're not thinking about it. I'm in denial about it. But um, yeah, it was a very emotional end. You know, we've spent 15 years together making these films and he's given everything to these films. And uh, it's a very sad ending But on the other hand, I think when you see the journey he's been on, I think it's, you know, it's really a time of celebration. I mean, what a tremendous achievement, really. And one thing for both of you, perhaps, you know, we're talking about the survival of the franchise, in my opinion, at least one of the reasons, because, you know, Bond, you know, there's there's a film, you know, every four or five years, let's say, you kind of protect his image, you know, so sometimes there are worries, oh, will there be a series of James Bond or, you know, other kind of products related uh, to Bond? I mean, how protective you feel about the brand as well? I ask that as well, of course, we hear the news that Amazon bought MGM, uh, So tell us a bit more. How, what are you planning to do to protect the survival of the franchise? We've been assured that uh, it's going to be a theatrical film and not made for streaming, uh, which is uh, gives us some comfort because uh, that's what we want to make is high quality, you know, uh, films that are emotionally involving and and spectacular and and uh, have all of the things necessary to make them work in the cinemas. And that's, uh, we've been told that that's the plan. So that's what we're going to continue to do. And uh, tell, uh, you know, just, just a little preview. Of course, we, we can't review any spoilers or anything. But where was, when was the first time you saw the film? What, what did you think? I mean, was it quite emotional? Uh, did it feel different from the other four, perhaps, that, that, that Craig did? I mean, they're always emotional because, you know, we spend, you know, three, four years making a film. So it's always emotional when you get it all put together. But I mean, we're very involved, you know, we're there every day. We see everything being shot. We're very involved in the post-production and the editing and everything. So it's not like it's a surprise (laughs) what the film is like. But, um, you know, everyone's contribution, you know, towards the end, you know, when you filmed everything and then you get all these wonderful things that are added to it, like an extremely emotional and powerful score from Hans Zimmer, which is, you know, just icing on the cake. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's very emotional. It's a huge part of our lives and uh, the commitment of so many people. So we're very, very happy with No Time to Die and and just can't wait for audiences to see it. Listen, both of you, thank you so much. And I cannot wait to see No Time to Die.
Bond, your watch. It contains a limited radius electromagnetic pulse. It'll short any circuit in a hardwired network if you get close enough. Mm -hmm. And how strong is it? It's fairly strong. Fairly strong? What's that mean? We haven't had the chance to test it properly, just be careful. Right, this is QDAR. It will map the space as you move through it. Don't touch that. And Smart Blood will track you and your vitals. Bond, you don't mind a shot or two whilst at work, shall we? Well, I haven't had a drink for three or four ow hours. Wow. Doesn't sound like you. Kerry mm. Fukunaga, thank you so much for joining us on Monocon Culture. I mean, as, as we're discussing, I'm very excited that we're finally going to be able to watch uh, No Time to Die. But, uh, Carrie, if you don't mind, I want to ask, what was your first Bond experience? Was there a particular film, perhaps, that made you fall in love with the franchise? Well, I, I know the, the first film I saw in cinemas was um, A View to a Kill uh, with Roger Moore as Bond. And I'm from San Francisco Bay Area, Oakland. And so the finale of that film takes place on the Golden Gate Bridge, which is, you know, on the opening of the bay, uh, right across from where I lived. And it was pretty amazing to see you know, this Zeppelin and Christopher Walken, you know, battling out with Roger Moore as if it was really taking place, you know, in my home areas. Like the, the make-believe had crossed over into my everyday life. I mean, that's, that's, a, that's an excellent example. And, and again, a great Bond, that one. And, and I think, Kerry, you have a very big responsibility here because, you know, as Bond films go, uh, in, they go in chapters, you know, when the actor changes. And this is the last one from Daniel Craig. I mean, was that in your mind when you were directing No Time to Die? Yeah, absolutely. I think knowing that this is going to be, or at least everyone's saying, his final one, you want to treat it like a final chapter and you want to treat it like you know, you're wrapping up a very fine arc of stories and, and characters that have come together in different ways and, and, and make it really land. And I think that is an honor as much as it, it's a challenge, as much as it's, it's, it's very difficult because you have a character who has changed a lot, you know, since we first were introduced to him and have gotten to see him be hurt in, in many different ways, not just physically, but also emotionally and uh, see him betrayed and, you know, turned upside down in every different direction. And who is that guy that we meet, you know, five years after retiring from the service inspector and where, where will this film take him? Um, how has life, this, this stage of maturity in his life formed him you know, and, and you want to do that in a way that doesn't feel like you're not taking into to account all these factors and just pretending like he never changes, but actually really treating him like a de developing uh, human being. Absolutely. And, and, and of course, also, Carrie, I believe you're, you, you're playing with a legacy. I mean, it's an iconic character. People love, love the film. There's a lot of expectation. And how do you work with that? Because clearly there's a template a, a little bit in how the Bond films are made. But how do you also introduce some of the elements from your career, from, from the way you did your previous films, perhaps, as well? It, you know, I think a lot of it felt how I, I approach previous films. Like there, there's always that sense of just what is the task at hand? So separating the forest from the trees and knowing that on the first stages, you just got to get the screenplay right. And then you got to cast it and you got to figure out how to shoot it and, and put it together in a way that is, is interesting and fresh and then, and then cut it together. And, and um, 
I'm very much kind of a, an architectural thinker in, in terms of my construction of screenplays and also the edit. So I had a pretty good sense of where I wanted the story to go and how I wanted it to turn, even though it was being written sort of throughout. I kept it mainly in my head until it could be put on paper. And um, I think it, it's obviously a, a lot to keep in your head, but it, it came together in a way that I'm, I'm very satisfied with. So I'm, I'm proud of the movie we made. And, and you and, of course, your team of writers, you have New Purvis, Robert Wade, uh, you know, Phoebe Waller-Bridge as well. And what was your relationship with the writers? And what do you think they, they brought to the film as well, to the storyline and, you know, and working together with you, of course? Uh, well, I developed the screenplay with Neil and Robert in the fall, you know, and then once we got beyond the sort of the first act and, and screenplay and, and did the outlining of the second and third act, I sort of was the main guy doing it. But obviously, it's really impossible to do these things by yourself. So Daniel recommended um, Phoebe Waller-Bridge initially. And actually, I wasn't that familiar with her. She, he was the one that really introduced me to her. And so I watched Fleabag and saw Killing Eve. And I thought, wow, this stuff's pretty incredible. And then I got to meet her and I just was really blown away by her intelligence. She had read what we had. She knew kind of the intentions of what we're trying to get to and her understanding of the material, the genre, um, the characters, how to deepen them, how to make it more interesting, how to make it more fun was really uh, refreshing. How did you bring kind of James Bond to a 2021 audience as well? Was there kind of any uh, updates perhaps in the character or you, you didn't want to change it too much? I think it's It was definitely impossible to ignore the Me Too element that we'd been living with when we wrote this screenplay. There's no way to not sort of address the fact that the world is changing, the office place is changing, the dynamics everywhere are changing, and it's, you know, about time. So that is definitely a part of the story, but like we also were aware you just, you can't be reactionary. You can't act like, you know, a corporation might, you know, put a, you know, a stamp on something, acting like you're doing something that has to be sort of like tangible within the context of the story and has to make sense and it has to feel like it's real uh, and uh, taken seriously. And I think part of that, you know, Barbara Broccoli is one of the most or the most successful female producer. And um, from the 90s, when Judy Dench was brought in to play M, there was a change already taking place with the character where she calls out the misogyny in that film. So... Daniel's run as Bond is, is, has continued that legacy of evolution. And I think bringing on female double O's and, and really fleshing out the female characters throughout the series, you know, Vesper Lind, I think was a very fleshed out character in the first film, has been the franchise's response to the changing world. And, and I was going to ask, you know, what's the most exciting part of directing a Bond movie? Because you're mentioning, of course, the, the more importance to female characters, but I believe even Daniel Craig, he portrayed more emotion as well. So I think it's not only about the, the big, exciting action scenes as well. There's, there's quite a lot of kind of emotionally depth to the character as well. But what was the most exciting parts of directing such a, you know, a large budget film like No Time to Die? Um, it was hard to kind of stop and take stock of the moment. I think we were definitely in it for most of the, the run of production because it was just time was, there was never any time. Uh, and, uh, as the title says, and, um, but, uh, I think some of the more exciting moments were when you, you got a second to sort of pinch yourself and, and realize, you know, what you were doing, whether it was when like the fancy cars came up or, you know, just, watching Daniel you know, as Bond do something that felt so quintessentially Bond. You know, in those moments, you're able to kind of appreciate it. But then obviously, all the weight of the, the things that were left to be done would come crashing back in. And then you're, you're back in work mode. 
And Kerry, was was Bond something that you always wanted to do or was it a bit of surprise when you were kind of <laughs> invited to direct A No Time to Die? And I wonder what was your reaction as well? Uh, well, I had actually sought out uh, Barbara for a drink shortly after Spectre came out. And at that time, Daniel was saying that was his last Bond. So in my mind, they're probably looking for somebody else and a restart. And so I just sort of raised my hand and said, you know, when you get to that point, I'd like to be considered. And then I sort of forgot about it. I went on to, to do another series and that became all engrossing. And when I had finished that series and was about to promote it is when uh, I read that Danny Boyle was dropping out. So again, I emailed Barbara and said, uh, what's going on here? Can I still be you know, considered for this role? And that led to a meeting at Barbara's uh, house in New York with Michael and Daniel and then, then more meetings and more story meetings. And then and suddenly I was doing the job. It was, uh, it was kind of... Um, a blur actually it happened so quickly well knowing a little bit of your work I'm, i'm very excited to see what you bring you know to, to no time to die and, and let's be honest here i mean some directors they direct in more than one bone movie i mean who knows i mean if you're invited for another one would you would you say yes <laughs> uh i would have to consider it you know i mean i've never really done the same thing twice so it's not so much for lack of passion or desire to to, to shepherd the character forward even further but it's more just you know with the limited time left that i have to make movies and television programs, I have to really be careful about what I choose because there's, there is only so much time. You know, I felt one thing that I would like to ask, because of course I saw the documentary, Being James Bond, how emotional it was. Tell us about the environment in the set about that, because of course Daniel Craig last time, it was really emotional. It was, it was, it was that last day of shooting was definitely more emotional than I anticipated. I'm um, not someone that usually gets teary-eyed on set and uh, the way you could feel Almost the way when you go to a movie and you, you can feel the room, you know, in a movie, if people are happy, people are crying, it's a, it's a contagious emotion. And on set, it's very much, it was very much that feeling that day. You could feel, I remember getting out of the car and walking towards our, our Cuba streets, which is where we're doing our last day of shooting, and just feeling the weight of it. And then as the day kind of went on, then we're getting closer and closer to that final take. Um, watching the crew members around me just breaking into tears and um, especially those around Daniel. And then when we finally did our last take, you know, it, it was Daniel walking by the camera and then walking away from camera with his back to us. And we did a take, maybe I did a second take and I was considering a third take, even though it's a pretty basic thing. There was nothing I needed him to do differently, but I just couldn't bring myself to say cut and say, that's it. And then there we were, we cut and everyone was waiting outside the doors for him to come back from the shot. And I think, He was even surprised. I think we were all surprised about what it, what it meant. And his words, you know, at the end there were really, um, were very touching. That was Kari Joji Fukunaga, director of No Time to Die, which is out on the 30th of September. My thanks to Fernando Augusto Pacheco for today's episode of Monocle on Culture, which, of course, was produced by Holly Fisher. We'll be back at the same time next week. But until then, from me, Robert Bound, thanks for tuning in. Thank you.